The following podcast contains spoilers. Check the episode description to see the exact times of the segments that contain spoilers. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to the Vulture TV podcast. I'm Gazella Mami, Vulture's TV editor, and I'm here with TV columnist Margaret Lyons and TV critic Matt Zoller Seitz. Hey, Gazelle. Hi, Matt. Hi, Gazelle. Hey, Margaret. How are you guys doing today? I'm pretty tired, but I'm doing okay. I'm trying to finish a new book, and it's wearing me out. I'm in the tedious, no fun, no artistic joy phase. <laughs> <laughs> you Can know, you... where you're just going through and correcting things and cutting things and that's that type of thing. Can you share what the book is yet, or is that a secret? It's a secret, but okay. within a couple of days, we'll, we'll know. But it's not going to be a shock to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, the thing Matt talks about constantly, even when no mm. one wants to hear about it. Mm. Send in your guesses to tvquestions <laughs> at vulture.com. So this week, we're going to start with E's new reality show, I Am Kate. And then we'll move into a new show that's been getting a lot of buzz on Sundance TV called Deutschland 83. And then we'll wrap up our discussion of BoJack Horseman from last week. And again, if you have any questions for us, please do email us at tvquestions at vulture.com. So Sunday night was the premiere episode of I Am Kate, which is an eight-part docu-series that kind of shows the beginning phases of Caitlyn Jenner's life. And we begin in this premiere with Caitlyn meeting her family members for the first time face-to-face, the episode also tries to bring attention to a lot of the issues facing transgender youth as well. The reaction has been a little mixed. Some have argued that the family moments felt a little fake and staged, and others say it's just boring, while others say it's, you know, the greatest thing to ever happen to reality television. <laughs> what, it, what did you guys think? <laughs> it's definitely not the greatest thing ever to happen to reality television. No. Uh, I feel pretty comfortable crossing that off the list yeah. of options. I think it's a little blah. Like, I I think in a lot of ways, its heart is in the right place. It just isn't actually that much heart. Like, Caitlyn Jenner was never the most interesting person on Keeping Up with the Kardashians. And to have a whole show around her, she's just not that charismatic on television. And the show just feels very casual, very superficial. You know, she's saying like, oh, this is the first time Kylie has seen me presenting as a woman. And it's like on FaceTime, and then at the dentist, which yeah, seems an unlikely place sort of strange. for that to happen. And then, then we cut to a talking head, and Caitlin's like, you know, at first I was nervous, but then I was like, oh well. It's like that's the whole sort of gist of the show is this like, oh well, feeling. I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. on the one hand, like I appreciate that the show is trying to bring attention to the struggles facing trans youth. On the other hand, there was a forty-two minute episode, and that part took less than six minutes. So like, it's not actually like championing causes as its premise. Right. I guess I felt like it was trying to to sort of walk this line of like we acknowledge tragedy but don't dwell in it and like nothing has any real meaning. And like the the story about like a teen who died from suicide and you know that was just about like Caitlyn Jenner's experience of hearing this story. Right. I don't know. I, I guess feel just... like I didn't feel like she was necessarily engaged with that storyline as much as she felt like she needed to bring attention to these stories. You know, when she was having the conversation with the mother. Yeah. Uh, it feels like she feels a great responsibility to be doing justice to these stories. And um, she has the platform to do uh, it. You know, I don't know. I always usually try to make a point of critiquing the form of a thing, regardless of what the subject matter is. Like, I don't want to ever let the subject matter trump 
the question of whether or not it's a good show or a good movie or a good whatever. But uh, in this case, I kind of felt myself making an exception. It just seemed the entire thing seemed so huge. Like there were so many ways in which I think this show is huge. The fact that this this drama, this personal drama has been played out on the public stage in a really demonstrative way, like really as a piece of public theater, but not in a way that felt fake to me, like in a way that really felt like you know, I'm going to live this out in public because it's of interest not just to me but to other people and it's going to help sort of enlighten people and advance uh, uh, attitudes and and uh, that's what I felt like it was. It was like a piece of, weird as it sounds, like a, you know, like a piece of street theater that happens to be televised and there's certainly a lot of controlling the message going on and, and it's funny because I just watched that documentary Listen to Me Marlon about Marlon Brando which is built around his answering machine tapes but it also includes a lot of footage of interviews from of him over the years. And there's one from the 1950s where, uh, I can't remember who the interviewer is, but it was like a, a live TV interview of Marlon Brando at his home. And it, and it's it's one of those 50s things where it's supposed to be like, here we are with Marlon Brando in his home. We just happened to stop by and he just happened to be here. But he's wearing a suit and tie and the place is lit to the nines. Like it looks like a set of a Busby Berkeley film. It's so well lit. And then he starts talking about his dad and he says, like, is your dad home? He's like, oh, as a matter of fact, he is. He's like, well, <laughs> hey, Mr. Brando, come downstairs. And he comes downstairs. Obviously, it's a cue type thing. And like this show kind of reminds me of that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Like it's a little... There's like an artifice to every single thing that happens, and and it bothered me at first, but at a certain point I just decided to accept it because it was part of the presentation. I felt like the moments with Caitlin's mother were some of the most interesting to me. We have a clip here of one of those moments where Caitlin is talking with her mother, Esther, on the couch. The problem before with you and I, I, I'm guessing this, you felt uncomfortable with me. We see each other, it was like you wanted to get away. At that point in my life, I was very much an isolationist. I would isolate myself from the world on many, 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 many occasions because I never felt like I fit in anywhere. I didn't fit in with the male side. I didn't fit in with the female side. You're kind of stuck in the middle. I feel like Caitlin fits in a lot better into society uh, than Bruce ever did, because Bruce uh, had to lie about all that sort of stuff, where Caitlin's kind of got a place. But Bruce will always be in there. Your values are always going to be the same. Oh, same. I'm still the that's same person. That's not changing. That's your soul. Yeah, that's your soul. That's exactly right. You, you have the same soul you were born with. I felt like with Esther, her reactions felt very genuine, and, you know, she's you can see the struggle going on there, and it focuses a lot on the question of uh, Caitlin's personality and whether Caitlin is still Bruce. And I thought that was an interesting thing because it felt like it was a way of, you know, the family comforting themselves, too, of saying, you know, this is still the same person. Yeah, her, her reactions are fascinating. Yeah. And, and the way that she kind of went around the bend on that, mm-hmm. like from being, and it did seem very spontaneous and authentic. That's I think true. part of that is that she's the least experienced reality performer yes. among the people on this show. Yeah. So Caitlyn Jenner has been on reality TV for a long time. Kylie Jenner, Kim Kardashian, obviously, like everyone the entire else. Kardashian yeah. clan. Kendall. So like we've <laughs> seen, like these are, especially Kanye. for the <laughs> two youngest, like they've been on television their entire like formative lives. So, you know, it's weird. We get, I think like the, the parentees talk of like, hi, look at you. Yeah. <laughs> the way that like you talk to like a baby or your pet, right? Like, yeah. oh my God. 
<laughs> like right like that weird like faux language like that's not meant to communicate actual thought that meant that's meant to just be like we're interacting yes. like i'm paying attention to you but mm-hmm. like nothing of meaning is being conveyed but nothing negative is being conveyed sure either. that's like that's what i feel like the up pitch is about you know <laughs> oh you're great there's no harm done so it's just like this weird <laughs> non-communication happening and then the whole like oh i haven't seen my parent since they've had I guess, like, surgery? Is that possible that, like, Kaylin has not seen her children so long that, like, she's had, like, gender affirmation surgery and facial feminization surgery? Like, these are surgeries with, like, relatively long recovery periods. And then she, like, stops by and it's like, let's put in hair extensions. Okay, ha, isn't this so much fun? This is so much more fun than sports. And it's like, what the fuck is happening? Like, <laughs> it doesn't feel... Like, that, yeah. like, I don't know. <laughs> not that, um, like, it's absolutely possible this is really exactly how it went and... Maybe that's so, in which case I, don't, I certainly don't want to, well, like, degrade or minimize anyone's lived experience. At the same time, in terms of, like, is this interesting television? Absolutely not. And it feels like there's probably, I imagine Kylie feels some pressure to be okay with it, given the response towards her father changing genders. You know, whatever feeling she has, she wants to be supportive on live television, I imagine, you know? I, yeah, I was reminded of when, uh, when Ellen DeGeneres came out. When she came out on mm-hmm. her show and she was on the cover of Time and she did the talk show circuit and everything. And you actually watch the show. The show was never that great of a sitcom. And that particular episode is mainly of historic interest. It's not like anything like comedically revolutionary went down there. But I feel like this is sort of in that column. Maybe the expectation shouldn't be to... I mean, it would be nice if it were like a really innovative or even particularly exciting show. But I feel like it's just like a very special episode of like the Today Show or the Tonight Show or something like that. And I don't feel like nothing of substance is communicated. But I do feel like the kind of interaction that we're seeing here is the interaction of like Margaret was getting at, I think, like that of people who are used to having their every move occur in public. Mm-hmm. And and I was thinking about Bruce Jenner and my own sort of relationship to the image of Bruce Jenner. I'm a child of the 70s. I used to eat Wheaties out of a box that had Bruce Jenner's face on the side of it. Not his face. He was like running. He's like running and breaking mm-hmm. the tape or something like that. And And Bruce Jenner was one of the great living American athletes. And there were kids on the playground debating, like, if he, you know, who is better, Bruce Jenner or Jim Thorpe? I mean, like, that kind of thing was going down. And this guy's 60, what is he, 66? She, 66 years old, right? It's, mm-hmm. that's, that in itself is huge. And I found that really, um, just the sight of her moving and powerful, just, you know, it didn't matter that she didn't have a whole lot of camera presence and, and that everything seemed a little stiff and rehearsed and awkward. I was just so fascinated by the whole thing and and her saying things like, people don't understand looking in the mirror and nothing seems right. You know, just mm-hmm. little statements like that. And and I feel like there's something so brave about what she's doing and, and uh, the fact that so many people in her family are actively participating in it. And I just, I got a kick out of Kanye. I got a huge kick I got out of Kanye. I thought he Kanye. was like, he was like an inspirational he, figure. I, I really love that guy. I, I love, so cute I love him. the way he was like smiling. It's like, oh, that is like the face you make when you go to your. Exactly. Like, he felt like the most house. genuine. He's like slightly <laughs> awkward and horrified, <laughs> yeah. but like. Like really like bright but, smile. Like, I thought, yeah, I was just like, oh, that's the face you see on your in-laws. And he's trying like, to be comforting towards Caitlin as well. He's like, you know, the way. I, do you have a quote I do, there, actually. Matt? I wrote, something, <laughs> yeah. I wrote down it, something Kanye West said. He yeah. says one of the strongest things, he called it one of the strongest things that has happened in our existence as human beings that are controlled by perception. And that's a mm-hmm. you know grammatical train wreck, probably. But 
it's pretty deep. Yeah. It's pretty deep. It's very direct. And, and I agree with it. I agree with it. This is a really, really powerful statement. And it's unfolding in social media and on television. And, you know, yeah, the artistry is lacking, but like it's it's major. It's big because of the generation that she comes from. This is mm-hmm. not somebody who's in her, t- who, in her 20s or 30s deciding to do this. This is somebody who's close to my dad's age. Right. It's, it's, it is, as my 72-year-old father would say, it's heavy. It's heavy stuff. I think, though, that this show is not authentic. Obviously, Caitlyn Jenner's gender transition is authentic. Yeah. But, like, the way that she's talking to the camera and stuff, like, fucking no. Like, of course not. <laughs> yeah, Like, not true. at all. Like, if you wanted to make an authentic documentary, is E your first phone call? Of course not. I think right? it is. I think it is for her. Do you think the cr- I think it is because she has been on E for the last 10 years. Yes. Right. Of course she's going to continue. Like, this is her income. How do you think it compares to what we've seen on the Kardashians? I guess I would probably categorize Keeping Up the Kardashians closer to, like, a sitcom, mm-hmm. honestly, just in terms of, like, the way it's constructed and the sort of introduction of the problem. The problem gets worse. Like, we have these, like, right? Yeah. And then finally we have, like, some kind of dramatic fight that introduces a resolution right. to the problem, right? So it has, like, the pacing of a sitcom. Certainly the dialogue is as stilted and odd the way that a sitcom dialogue <laughs> often is. Basically, since the Osbournes, every celebrity show has been relatively contrived. Yeah. Uh, that might just be how we choose to consume it. You know, the market will dictate a lot of those things. But the sort of problem of the week of like, oh, guys, we have to go to the ski chalet, but we don't have enough beds. It's like, what? <laughs> it's like, that's yeah. the premise of an episode. Like, and it is. Do I you didn't think, make that one up. That is a real episode. Do you think it's accurate to call I Am Kate a docu-series? No. No, Which is it's what something they're calling else. It. It's something else. I hate the phrase reality programming. I ha- I've been hating it for like what is it, fifteen years now? Probably longer than that. <laughs> God, yeah. I mean, it's just like it's the wrong word. I mean, unscripted television is probably closer, but even that's not true because there, it is scripted, in a sense. They're sort of deciding what happens and they're guiding the participants in in into the situations, just like you described. I have a very good friend who's a, who edits a lot of these shows, and we talk about this a lot. And he said that like. I, he said that in his experience, like staring at this stuff and shaping this stuff, like he feels like it's more like sitcoms and dramas that are improvised and whose performers are non-professionals. Like that's more what it is. That is exactly what the Kardashians. Is. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like a hundred percent. Yeah, and I don't know. Like that's an unwieldy. Like you can't put that in a log line. You know, like <laughs> like we need like one or two words to to boil that down. Non-union. But... <laughs> non-union. Non-union is great. I love that. Let's go with that from now on. The TV show we're discussing is I Am Kate, and you can catch it every Sunday at 8 p.m. on E. So Deutschland 83 is a German show that is kind of spiritually aligned with the Americans, except it's set in Germany instead of America, and it has to do with Germans instead of Russians. And it kind of picks up where the Americans leaves off in 1983, right after Reagan made his evil empire speech. And we are introduced to a character named Martin, who is coerced by his aunt into becoming a spy for East Germany while embedded in West Germany as the aide of a top general. It's a really well done show. And I, and I understand why it's being compared to the Americans. It's obviously it's the same world and a lot of the same issues. But the storytelling is different because it's so focused on one person and it really puts you into into his perspective. And I have those sort of nervous I love those kind of Hitchcockian thrillers where somebody is posing as somebody else and they don't really entirely know what they're doing. Well, I find it more tense than the Americans almost because I don't 
know how capable he is, whereas on the Americans, I fully trust in their abilities. Mm. Yeah, they're professionals. Yeah. Like, that was one of my notes was they, the Americans, they're all professionals. And yeah. This guy is You're an just amateur. like, oh, my God, what's yeah. going to happen? He's yeah. like... He's just not that good at it yet, yeah. right? They sh- like it's a sort of important moment in the first episode where they're teaching him how to do this kind of handoff, and we see him practice with his mentor. And then on his first chance to do it, he drops it. Like yeah. he drops the item he's trying to hand off, and it's just like, oh, oh, like of course you would, right? Like it's not that easy. I and- love that. I love that yeah. actually. That whole montage where they're teaching him how to do stuff that you see people do ten million times in spy movies, and you- it never occurs to you that you would have to practice. Have to that. practice. And he's a very reluctant spy. Like, he's not actually that interested in it. He, like, screws up all the time. He's, like, he is kind of an idiot. <laughs> I mean, he's like... He makes that phone call to yeah. East Germany. He's, like, when he's, he's up there. He's, yeah, and he sees a lady going down the stairs. He's, he's like, like, whoops. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, bye. Yeah. yeah I, like, I like <laughs> yes, that he's... Mom. You know? I like that he's sort of, you know, it feels... I hesitate to say, like, believable. I Like, I'm not concerned with that aspect of it. But it's interesting, I think, for a spy story to be about such an ordinary guy. Because I think a lot of times, like, our espionage like, thrillery kinds of things tend to be about really extraordinary people. One way to create both comic and dramatic tension is to have ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances or extraordinary people in ordinary circumstances. And I think this show winds up hitting at both of those things, right? So we have Martin, who's relatively ordinary, in these extraordinary circumstances of being like a secret agent and he has this like double life, but the two lives are pretty close to each other when it comes down to it. And so we have that. But we also have, um, you know, people are keeping secrets from the government and doing these like, you know, illegal subversive things because they like crave human freedom. And so we have these extraordinary people, but what they're doing is like reading a book, right? right. Like, and so we have yeah. like, that is a major act of subversion. That's illegal. That's a crime that, that could be very bad for you and your family. But it like, it's a, this very ordinary experience. And so I think the show plays very well with like how those moments create tension and grounding and we have a lot of kinds of relationships we see right so we see people who are friends people who are siblings parents and children co-workers bosses and employees fake relationships right like a, a honeypot scheme aunties and uncle like we have just like all these moments to see where everyone fits because hierarchy is such an important aspect of the show and yeah. they, they really do a good job of delving into those supporting narratives yeah it feels like you know with yes. Annette his this is his girlfriend who he leaves back in East Germany. There's um who else? His roommate Alex, who's a very interesting character. I find his aunt Lenora and Chish Chish beer. I'm not yes, sure how you pronounce that. I believe that. that's how you pronounce They're it. The, I wrote him down because yeah. I liked him so much. They're the most elusive characters, but you know, there's you know, certainly so a lot. Tobias, yeah. Tobias, 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 yeah. I think the aunt with like her gloves and her cigarettes yeah. and like yeah. the sort of like, there's an interesting glamour to some of it that is so, it's strange because like on Mad Men we think of like this sort of costuming is like so romantic kind of and yeah. like you like fetishize you're like oh that's so beautiful right and the costuming on the show is not designed to be like to elicit that um, like <gasps> response Mm -hmm. but what it does is like it really has like strong character moments in what people are wearing and and you get like such a feel for like oh right this woman is stylish this is not like a general thing it's that she herself is somebody who cares a lot about style and I love how they use style for General Edel's wife Ursula's character because you see her dressed up you see her you know her character actually has been one of the most interesting to watch develop to me and when you see her depressed you see her kind of in her house clothes and it just these signals these details are all really beautifully done 
Also the music, which the music come on, is great. like the music is great, and not the, just the '80s pop stuff, but like some of the classical cues that they pick are yeah, great too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the score is really beautiful. And I also like the I like the way it's shot. I like the way it's shot. It's very unsettling. Like the Americans, I feel like they must have studied the paranoid thrillers of the '70s because they keep doing mm-hmm. this thing like. Pretty much in every scene, there's like a couple of shots that are sort of unmotivated and weird. Like there'll be a shot like through the hole between two pillars and a stone fence of people talking. Yes, or, or the yes, camera I've will noticed be that. Like super, It'll super be... high, and like it's like hanging from the ceiling. It makes you feel like someone's watching. Yeah, it's like is and... someone watching? Yeah. Is or, or if so, who? Or is that just there to make us feel creeped out? Mm-hmm. Or what is that? And that's like a classic paranoid thriller technique, and they're really, really good at and it. And it's really resonant for the show, obviously, because people are watching. Yes, and so everyone's paranoia is completely borne out, mm-hmm. right? It's like oh, I wonder if anyone's listening. It's like that guy you just said that to it's him yeah. he's listening yeah. well that's what like, tobias he's a, says he, yeah. he actually says i yeah. think he says the true luxury of the west is that no one pays attention to you yeah. and then i like that in the middle of all this you get these sweet moments like when um, martin first listens to music from a walkman for the first time he yeah. has this huge smile on his face and it's like the most amazing thing he's ever heard and his moments with linda too it's like you can tell he's, you know, he really cares about her. And it's just, you know, they're, he's just a human put in this, as you said, extraordinary circumstance. What I like, and like I say this is a huge fan of the Americans, but the American sort of central uh, sensation is dread. Yes. That is not, for me, the central sensation of mm-hmm. Deutschland 83. And it feels much more like a coming-of-age story in a lot of ways because we see Martin doing a lot of things for the first time, and that's sort of like a hallmark of a coming-of-age story is a lot of things for the first time and a bunch of things for the last time, right? I mean, he's like, 24, uh, I believe, on the show. Yeah, and so, like, you know, on the Americans, it's like, anyone could be murdered. <laughs> and, like, yeah. you know, we know exactly how bad things would be for that. Like, there's just, like, so much there. And on... Not that that's not true. Obviously, it would be catastrophic Mm -hmm. for any of our characters to be sort of found out. Um, But it's much uh, that's not like the driving, motivating, like gravitational pull of the series to me. I think it's much more like what role (laughs) does like selfhood like how should how ought you to relate to your nation? Like what is a healthy relationship? to Well, and also the fact that he's you know, he's doing all this for his mother. You know, I mean, like there's so there is this whole like idea of separating from the parent, whether it's the actual biological parent or the country that raised you like that's sort of baked into the story itself. And in a way that they don't they don't beat it over the head too Mm -hmm. hard. We do see themes of what's your responsibility to your parent? What's your responsibility to your child? And between two parents, are you more responsible to your spouse or your kid? Like those are very big themes for the show, but like in a very gentle way. It's not like gather around for the parental themes hour like it's yeah, yeah. right it's, it yeah. feels very natural to the the story it all still feels very character driven and not forced at all you really identified something important this idea of it as a coming of age story because there was this moment where i was thinking this reminds me of a john hughes film mm-hmm. like it's like it's but there's it's a little in bit east of germany shenanigans. there is a little bit of shenanigans <laughs> it's like it's like you know what do, like that that woman saw me on the phone I, I think she knows i'm a spy what i do is like here put this in her drink <laughs> yeah it's ridiculous it is shenanigans it's like we're gonna get crazy i'm gonna eat so many hamburgers <laughs> yeah, and then it's yeah. like you know the there's scenes of like young people literally like running through the street be like ah like we're going to a club yeah right like that like not in danger just being like oh wait for us we're all going to the party and the business with the dimmer switch yeah the show is done by a husband and wife and the husband is german and the wife is american and 
you know, they've talked about how their styles kind of mesh where you get this kind of American sensibility. And I think that comes across in these elements you guys are talking about a lot. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. there's a, like the, the scene that really struck me, uh, and it comes up a couple of times in the show, is the way everyone looks when they lay in bed at night. So we have a couple of scenes of like, it's bedtime. Whom am I sleeping? Like, am I sleeping in, in a bed by myself? Am I in like a army barracks? Am I at a military conference where I've bugged a hotel room? Like all these kinds of things. And Martin never looks so young as when he's like laying on the pillow by himself because he like has this baby face and he looks so homesick. And it's yeah. like the first night that he's living in West Germany and pretending to be this other guy. It's like the first night at camp. And it's like, I don't like this. This isn't how mommy <laughs> makes it. Right. Like that whole like little panic feeling of like, am I going to fit in? What if I don't make any friends? What if I get found out? What if I get to sent to prison forever because I'm a spy? Right. Like those sort of like escalating fears versus, you know, Tobias, we sometimes see who's a much more comfortable in his espionage and then we also see martin's friends in west germany who are dealing with their own shit and just sort of these moments of like this is kind of the only time when you're in bed alone that you're not performing because many of our characters are leading in some capacity double lives or certainly not fully authentic lives because some of them live in an oppressive regime where that's like not really an option and some of them are literally spies and some of them have like parents who wouldn't accept them if they knew right mm-hmm. so this is like our only chance to really see people drop their mask I like seeing that I like I think the acting on the show is terrific and we get these little moments of like how different are you when no one's looking it's great it's really well done like pretty much across the board and I like the way it's photographed and I like the fact that it hits a lot of the same themes as the Americans but it just feels like a very different show it's totally different and the Americans has it's almost verging on film noir the way it, the way it looks and the way it feels like everything is so heightened like you're saying the dread of it and this one feels more like, like bouncy natu- and fe- yeah, yeah hairy. there's it's, like it's a funness strange. to it and this sort of the... yeah, it is fun it's a fun yeah. show there... it's like the americans is a great show but a fun is not the word i would use mm-hmm. well know? there's also like a airtight seal on the americans right like you can sort of feel if like the security lock has been breached like we have a very tight show uh, and the the color scheme right like the aesthetics of the show are very it's always winter right like we have very this very tense and the way that Deutschland looks it's like it's brighter we're in more lush nature you're getting Duran Duran as yeah. the soundtrack and beautiful just, like, fall yeah. colors <laughs> yeah and like you know people are like, going swimming and stuff like there's <laughs> yeah a lot of nudity <laughs> like, there's a little bit of that and there's just like a excitement to some of like some of these mm-hmm. people are like really excited about what they're doing in their lives and I love the Americans but no one's like yay the yeah. Americans it, like, it's much more I'm youthful so much yeah. fun they're not skipping down the street yeah. that's <laughs> no, true yeah The TV show we're discussing is Deutschland 83, airing on Sundance TV on Wednesdays at 11 p.m. So we're going to use the last part of this show to finish up our discussion of BoJack Horseman, which we started last week. The last couple episodes, there was just a lot going on there in this Mm -hmm. final narrative. (laughs) It's like he's Don Don Draper, except he's a horse. Exactly. That's exactly what I wrote down as well. It's completely bizarre. He goes on this road trip. To find Charlotte, uh, yeah. the deer, after Wanda leaves him. And yeah, exactly. It's a very Don Draper-esque journey. And we have a clip here of Bojack's breakup talk with Wanda before he sets off on this road trip. Well, I'm sorry that things have been so hard for you, but that doesn't give you the right to be shitty to me. I can't be around someone who's just fueled by bitterness and negativity. Well then, what are you doing here? What happened, Bojack? Same thing that always happens. You didn't know me. Then you fell in love with me. And now you know me. 
You know, it's funny. When you look at someone through rose-colored glasses, all the red flags just look like flags. I also don't think you can say enough good things about Lisa Kudrow's work as Wanda. Oh, I thought that was, like, just no. was amazing. 10 out of 10. Like, no, it was great. Because, like, Wanda has, like, she's so silly and stuff, but she has, like, so much dignity. And I thought the brick <laughs> joke where it's, like, it's a bag of mulch. Like, that, <laughs> for that character to have, like, that much confidence, right? Like, so the brick joke is where she tells the first half of a joke, and it's, like, it doesn't make sense, really. There's, like, no ending, and Bojack gets, like, really annoyed. And at the end of the episode, she ties it up, and there's a second half of a similar sort of... Uh, like Shaggy Dog story, but it ties in with the first half of the joke from hours mm-hmm. before. And like for somebody to have like that kind of like panache, like, yeah, like she must. She's so dope, right? Like that's like <laughs> such a cool, tr- like to be able to pull that off. She's like so. No, she's a, she's a national treasure. She yeah. really is. She's great. She's great. She's like one of the greats right now. So I was a little sad to see them break up, but it did lead into what I thought was the most dramatic episode of the season, which was episode eleven. Yes, yeah. and that's Escape to L.A. When he sets off for New Mexico, I believe, mm-hmm. to see about a girl who he knew 30 years before. Yes. Yeah. And I think it was only just a month or so that they knew yeah, one they another. Yeah, briefly. Yeah. And, you know, she ha- she's married, has a family now. and Which Bojack didn't know when he set out. Yes, right. That's like, true. Because he saw her... We first met Charlotte in season one, and then the season one, episode 11, is the drug episode called mm-hmm. A Downer Ending. Oh, yeah. If you guys remember. Great episode. Yes. But a la Don Draper, I was rewatching episodes to like get additional like resonant information. The two 11 episodes are definitely companion pieces. Absolutely. Mm. So he has that drug trip, and a lot of the episode is just like kooky drug shit, but then he has this very long fantasy about like if he had wound up with Charlotte and they would have moved to Maine and they had this lake and they right. show him playing yes. with his like daughter and she's like, oh, daddy, like if you were a kid, would we be friends? And he's still Bojack, right? He's like, you know, it's taken under consideration, like your application's being processed, <laughs> which is a line we hear him say to Todd, but then he says like, uh, app- like uh, approved or whatever, and it's just like, it's just very cute, very sweet montage of like what it's like to parent this little girl and then you know comes crashing down because it is just a hallucination and so on this episode to see him like actually like like seduce charlotte's daughter was like oh my god i mean and uh it's just and you see him has it like not do it so many times that when he finally does well but then he goes into his boat he goes into when he goes into his boat and he leaves the door open that's and you see it in a wide shot you see that open door and i saw that and i actually got a kind of a nauseous feeling because it felt like i i know i know where we're gonna go with this unfortunately but that was beautiful and like that's the shot of the season for me is that that Mm -hmm. shot of the boat with the door open it's a beautiful looking show, beautifully designed show. And like so much intelligence goes into the way they show us things and not just what people say, but like how, how they say it and how they're how they're framed. It's really, really like so much more than I kind of expected. And I like the second season better than the first, mm-hmm. I think. Like nothing against the first season. I'm really not down with this whole, it's so much better this year, you know, but I do think it's a deeper, I think they're... I think they have learned. They created this new instrument, and now they've learned how to play it. And they're seeing what sounds they can produce. I also think you can't have as strong a relationship to a character in one season as you can in two, right? And so, especially the first half of season one is laying groundwork. And like, yeah, that's not a very nice house. It's just a floor. But like, you got to start somewhere. You have to start Mm -hmm. with that. You don't launch like a prefab show, right? So you have to like get all this material out there and to like establish the world, establish BoJack style, like build up the idea of him as this schmuck and then when we see him 
learn that he's bad and like come to grips with that and then we get the flashbacks and you know I think like you can't launch at full emotional resonance so like I I, I also like this season more but I don't think it's like a fair comparison yeah 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 probably not because there's more I mean there's more to it but also like I'd already spent six hours with Bojack at all like I I already knew I was in mm-hmm. but you also get like we're making it sound like it's a very deep dark show but it's funny it's, fun. it's, it's incredibly funny. funny. It's really funny. But it is also, I think, a deep, dark show. And it is. And it yeah. be both of those. The second season ends on, on a pretty positive note, though. Kind, kind of in a Don Draper way. It kind of reminded me of what you wrote about Mad Men, Matt. You know, the idea that people change, but in increments. Yeah, they they change, and then they change back. Yes. And then they change again. Two steps forward and one and one, one and a half steps back is sort of the way characterization mm-hmm. is presented. And I find that to be true in life. You know, with myself and with people I know, like you do see people change over time, but you also see them changing back or reverting. And I feel like this show, like despite the fact that two thirds of the cast is like talking animals, like I think it's really true to human nature. (laughs) Were you guys rooting for Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter to get back together? Not really. No, but I did like that scene between them. <laughs> yeah. I but I but no, yeah. <laughs> it's Mr. Funny. Peanut Butter captures a particular type of douchebag better. I've never <laughs> seen this guy before. Like captured that exactly. That kind of like everything that he says there's like a peppy exclamation point next to it and everything he says has an implied smile, but a lot of it's really selfish and hateful. You know? Mm. I don't think he's that hateful. I think he's an asshole. Mr. Peanut Butter? I think he's like a dumb dumb. Yeah, I but think I don't he's a little dumb. I don't actually think he's malicious. Well, I don't know if he's a sadist, but I think he is um, completely oblivious to the harm he causes other people and to how and to how entitled and selfish he is. Yeah, I do. I mean, I, there's a I can't remember what episode it's in, but he's talking about, you know, what kind of day he had and it's like I had to I had to put a suit on and then I had to do this scene and then at the end I had to take the suit off and like that was my whole day. And he, like, wants sympathy for that. Because he's a dog. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I guess I saw like, that as, like, a characterization his of, His brain like, isn't yeah. as big. <laughs> I don't know. There's good dogs and bad dogs. Anyway, I'm just saying I don't get the love for Mr. Peanut Butter. I love the character, but I, I wouldn't want him to be my dog. I also think in rewatching parts of season one, there's a huge arc in season one that's, like, a romance between Diane and Bojack. Right. And this season, I had none of that. Right, like they there was, seem like pal or they, like they're friends. They're mm-hmm. certainly friends, and we know that they have like an interesting tight right. bond. But the way that I think in season one there was a little bit like maybe I do kind of want them to get together. And this season I had none of that feeling. Yeah, everyone's so depressed this season. That's why, like Diane is you know stuck in her own little. You know. Diane's depressed. I actually thought Bojack was less depressed this season. Mm. I think that in coming out of some of his depression, what he's reckoning with is his loneliness. And those are slightly different things. Are you down with the prov? What does that mean? The improv. Oh, the, I, was, I was like, <laughs> what? The oh, prov? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the improv episode is like legitimately a documentary about improv. <laughs> That's like the realest thing I've ever seen. I'm only, like, I'm joking a little Margaret bit. Margaret is our resident <laughs> improver. Yeah, I've, I've been an improviser for a long time. I've performed every week for the last like five years years like taking a lot of class like this is a very very dangerously accurate portrait <laughs> like it is but it's not a cult it's important to establish that it's not a cult the, the frequency with which i've had conversations with other improvisers like this is a cult is common <laughs> and we even talk about like the fervor of converts that like in your first year of improvising you like get super excited you want to take like twice as many classes as other people take and you're like do jams every week and like you're so into it and you like have all these ideas for shows and it's like okay <laughs> like you'll chill out a little <laughs> it's like a vegan like the standard vegan joke yeah. with improv how do i know you're into improv because you won't stop talking about it <laughs> you guys brought it up 
<laughs> I was also getting a kick out of the oh, the whole Scientology thing that's going on. Yep. Like they're basically mm-hmm. flat out telling you this is really about Scientology sure. by denying that that's what it is. Yeah, I mean the like I think it's an example of like how if you have a really good mapping sketch, like how far that can go. And so like mapping Scientology with improv brings out criticisms of both things, right? And that's like the right. best thing that we want to get from a pretty traditional mapping kind of scenario, right? Like you think we're talking about X, but we're actually talking about Y. And what happens is it's poking fun and finding the sort of weaknesses in both of those things. Uh, So I thought that was like a very successful pairing of ideas. And also just the way that an incredible amount of craft is in the service of something that is in the end very silly and intended to entertain. Like it's a great, great (laughs) insult, uh, insight. That was a weird Freudian slip. Great, great insight into that. And that line uh, with the, what is it, Copernicus, how do you come up with these amazing butt jokes? And he (laughs) says, when you're a level nine as I am, you don't come up with butt jokes. You live truthfully in the moment and the butt joke comes to you. (laughs) Yeah, that is like not that different from what I tell my improv students. (laughs) Like it's a little different, but like not that different. The show has this ability to be about itself without sort of forgetting to be a show which is pretty rare. Like when you reach the level of, of self-awareness that this show has, I think there's a temptation to to kind of flip over and just make it almost like everything that happens is almost preemptive criticism in a way. And they, they haven't gotten to that point yet. But even in the last episode, he's been taken out of the Secretariat film and replaced with a computer animated yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting version of himself. Like... And of course, we're watching an animated series that is made on a computer, too. So that's kind of embedded into it. They also lead that out in the very first episode when like, yeah. he has to go in and right. do like get his photos taken. And they're like, oh, haha, someday we're just going to do we're going to take two photos and that'll be it. And I thought the part where Kelsey, the director, had said uh, in I think it's the season premiere to Diane, like, oh, of course, he doesn't he hasn't grown up at all. He's stunted. Right. And I think that when we see him with Penny, Charlotte's daughter, that idea of like, oh, right, like Bojack is 51. They mentioned 30 years ago a lot. And he was an adult then, too. Right. Right. So like the degree to which he is a gross old man, like 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 a 51 year old is at a prom. Yeah. And taking over for the DJ. Yeah. And like he still (laughs) thinks that he's in like the heyday of his fame where it would be like so cool to bring like, I don't know, like John Stamos to your prom or something in like 1989. (laughs) And now it's like. I don't know. I mean, he's fine. Like, like I'm not. This is not like a. I'm not trying to compare John Stamos to BoJack and like their um, like life. I just mean like we have a a star of a sitcom from long ago that people still recognize. Matt, you were talking about the tonal shifts a bit before the show. Oh yeah, I was just thinking that as I was watching this, I I suddenly realized that the you know I always say like the one thing that all the shows that I really really love have in common is you never know what you're going to get from one moment to the next and. To be a little more specific about that, like BoJack Horseman sort of illuminated for me, is uh, it's not one thing. Like, an episode is not one thing. You don't just have one tone all the way through. You don't just have one kind of episode. You have a lot of different kinds of episodes, and you have the same characters being presented in all of these different emotional temperatures, all these different styles. And that that episode 11 that we've spent so much time talking about is so, if you watch that and then you watch the very next episode, it almost feels like two entirely different shows with the mm-hmm. same characters. And that's okay. And and that that's a kind of, uh, you know, narrative that I like. I, I the, the kind that where it's all like smooth and orderly and predictable is not the kind that I prefer. And even if it doesn't work, that's why I keep sort of continuing to admire Louis, even though a lot of times it doesn't really do much for me, is because it's constantly out there trying 
trying to surprise me, trying to do something new, like never resting on its laurels. Mm-hmm. You know, I like that. And Girls is that way. Um, Mad Men Mad used Men. to be that way. Breaking Bad used to be that way. And I think that's that's you know that's the difference between a show that's rewatchable and a show that isn't for me. You can catch the full second season of BoJack Horseman on Netflix. And you should really start with the first season. Even though if you heard that the second season is good, which it is, you'll get much more out of the second <laughs> season if you watch both. Absolutely. And it's not its not like it's a chore. Like, you'll, you'll just sit there and watch the entire thing, and you'll look <laughs> up, and it'll be like, oh, my God, it's dark out. And they're 30-minute <laughs> episodes, you know? Yeah. I think it's a total of 12 hours for two seasons. That's yeah. a day. That's a yeah. weird, lazy day. It is. It is. <laughs> a dark dive into the depths of your soul. <laughs> That's it for this week's Vulture TV podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at tvquestions at vulture.com. Our producer is Sarah Abdurrahman. Our senior producer is Laura Mayer. Andy Bowers is our executive producer. The Vulture TV podcast is part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at itunes.com slash panoply. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. I'm Gazella Mommy, and you can find me on Twitter at Gazellephant. I'm Margaret Lyons, and you can find me on Twitter at Margin Charge. I'm Matt Zoller Sites, and you can find me on Twitter at Matt Zoller Sites. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.